a reading from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and verses 12 through 18. My brothers and sisters, do not claim the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory while showing partiality. For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here in a good place, please, while saying to the one who's poor, stand there or sit by my footstool, while have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brother, my beloved brothers and sisters, Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Surely that faith cannot save, can it? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I, by my works, will show you faith. The word of the Lord. We have a guest preacher this morning, Rachel Triska. Uh, she is vice president of external affairs yeah. for City Square. I got that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is, uh, she's a pastor. I mean, once you're a pastor, are you always a pastor, always. right? It doesn't go away. <laughs> she is, she's a, a spiritual director. She is a justice worker. Uh, she is, she's a rare kind of person that I really admire that holds action and contemplation in her life together. Uh, and so I'm really excited for her to bring a word to us about justice. Today is Justice Sunday, where we're thinking about the justice of God and in God's mission in this world and in our city, when after her message today, we'll kick off our justice offering um, to support City Square and Refugee Services of Texas and our Storyline Justice Fund. Um, we'll have a short interview after she's done preaching, but without further ado, Rachel, come bring the word. And, I forgot my mic. Do I need the mic? Yes. Okay. Well, actually, what you do, you do for recording. Okay. Yes. I haven't used one like this. What's the best? You can clip it if you want. I think that's or you dangerous. Can hold it, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Well, it is so, okay, I know pastors say this when they come and speak at churches, but it's really been sweet to be here with you guys today. You know, over the years, I've been in a lot of churches, and um, it makes me sad to say sometimes I walk into places, and I just don't know that that Jesus would recognize it as the kind of church he came to bring to the world. But being with you guys today, I really feel like Jesus would be right at home. And so thank you for creating this kind of space where I walked in today and just felt welcome from the very beginning. 
So thank you guys for just being that kind of community. The church I was in, our our mantra was nobody fits, everyone belongs. And so when I walk into a place and I feel that, it just makes me feel like I'm home. So thank you guys. Um, as Charles said, my name is Rachel. And the thing I would most want someone to know about me that was not shared already is I have two daughters. Their names are Sayla and Haven. Sayla is 14. And we are all in teenage land right now. <laughs> and then Haven is my younger daughter, and she is 11. And um, she has decided it is a season of life where she should be really sweet. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> she may have just come into the world that way. But I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of you already today. And so I know some of your names got to know this table a little bit better. But if anyone wants to share just maybe something that you would love for me to know about you, I'd, I'd love to hear from one or two of you before we get started. Oh, you guys aren't a shy group. I already know that. Don't don't pretend. Come on. That's amazing. Yeah, Saint Hildegard is one of my favorite saints, and she talks about the 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 greening up of the world and how that's just this way that God speaks to us and talks about the continual regeneration. I love that. Anybody else? Okay. <laughs> it's, no, yeah, I get you. Yeah. 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 I I have so much grief of my heart over the reality that my daughter is going to be out of my house in four years. It's it's unreal. Well, thank you guys. It's, um, sometimes if I go into churches and I don't have the opportunity to really connect with people, it feels kind of silly to preach <laughs> because I'm like, you don't know me. Why do you care what I have to say? So thank you so much for letting me have this opportunity to know you guys some this morning. So just a Sunday, I thought it would be great to start with just a brief conversation at your tables. I'm only going to give you two minutes to do this, but I want you to think when you, when you think about justice, what comes up for you? And if you could sum it up in one word, what would that one word be? When you think about justice, what do you think about? What comes up for you? What's that one word? So I'm going to give you guys just a minute or two to share that at your tables.
Okay, you've got about one more minute. Okay, I want to hear some of your words. What were some of your one words for justice? Value, okay. Okay, equality. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what I want to do today is take us through a framework for looking at what some of the biblical writers, what I think their one word for justice would have been. So we're going to talk about what Paul's word for justice would have been and Jesus's and James, because I think it helps us to discern how can justice be more central to our faith. So if you have a Bible or a phone that you can pull up scripture on, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I'm going to read it to you, but I want you to read, I want you to follow along because... um I want you to see what I see whenever I read this. So 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the justice of God. Is that what your Bible say? Righteousness. Okay. Has anyone ever read this verse in Spanish? So everywhere that the English Bible translates righteousness, Old Testament and New Testament, Spanish translators translate it justice. Every time you read the word righteousness in the Bible, in English, if you were to read it in Spanish, it would say justice. Now, I'm curious, which of those do you think is actually closer to the biblical meaning for these two words? In Hebrew, the word is sedek. And in Greek, the word is, I'm going to read this because it's a longer one. Both of them have nothing to do with inward moral virtue. Whenever the biblical writers use these words, what they were talking about is how do we relate to others? How do we conduct ourselves in relationship to others? So I'm going to side with the Latin translators today, and I'm going to say what Paul was actually saying is that the reason Jesus came to the world is not to make us righteous so that, that we could be the justice of God in this world. 
I don't know how you guys grew up and the churches that you were in, but in my faith tradition, which was a holiness tradition, there was way more sermons about all of the things that I should think and believe and conduct myself individually than there were sermons about racism or sermons about immigration or sermons about what my responsibility was to the poor outside of supporting missionaries. And I wonder how our faith would look different if our interpreters had used the word justice as opposed to righteousness. And what begins to shift for us if we start to look at all of these occasions, whenever we come up against the word righteousness and begin to center this idea of justice in our faith. So I want to um, I want to skip over Paul's word for just a little bit. And start with what I think Jesus's word would have been. So we'll come back to Paul. But I love that in the Gospels, whenever we sit with the teachings of Jesus, again and again, what I'm struck by, so much of it is about how do we, how do we relate to others in concrete, real ways. So when you think about the teachings of Jesus, and you guys can take a minute to discuss this at your tables, what stories, what teachings, what things that Jesus did come to your mind as you think about those moments when Jesus is really showing, demonstrating, or teaching others how he wants us to interact with with our neighbors, with other people? So I'm going to give you just about a minute to talk about that. Yeah, what story, what example of Jesus, which of his teachings come to mind for you when you think about this is Jesus showing us how he wants us to treat others, how he wants us to act with justice? What does justice look like?
I'm going to give you guys about 30 more seconds. What I think you guys will notice is there's no shortage of stories. Jesus, when you look at the life of Jesus, he came for the people on the margins. He had this preferential desire to be with those who were cast out, who were considered unclean. The story I think about when I think about Jesus teaching us how, how we're supposed to show up in this world is, for me, the Good Samaritan. He took the most, the, the character that would have been the most ridiculed, the most prejudiced in Jewish society, a Samaritan, and he turns him into the hero of this story above the religious leaders, that this is the one who, when Jesus is asked the question, who is my neighbor? He said this one, the good Samaritan. And so whenever I think about Jesus and this idea of what word would Jesus associate with justice, I think of the word neighbor. Neighbor. I believe Jesus thought about his neighbors when he thought about justice. It wasn't an ethereal idea. It wasn't something out there. It was concrete and it was close. And I think we see this in the incarnation because what did Jesus do? Incarnation, incarnate. He became flesh. He came and he was close to us. Jesus thought about his neighbors And I do not think that we can enact justice the way that God intends from an unneighborly distance. I think we have to be close to people. We have to be close enough to know when people are in the ditch. We have to be close enough to be able to get to them. And we have to be close enough that there is not the choice for us to look away. This became real for me. My journey with justice really started back in 2013, 2014, I started to pray that God would send a prophet to my faith community. I was like, God, we need a prophet. (laughs) And God sent this woman named Lydia Bean, and she had moved from Waco to Dallas to start Faith in Texas. And so she asked me to be on the vision team. And so I served on the vision team. I was on their board for the first five years. But one of the first things that I got to do in 2014 is I was invited to go to El Paso. And this was when all of the unaccompanied children were coming across the border. And we were going with the Department of Homeland Security and all of these national organizations. And we were going to be the first people to be given access to hear the stories of the children who were being detained in these camps. Originally, we were going to go somewhere in New Mexico. And they said, oh, nobody's there. We're going to send you to El Paso. So we get redirected. We go to El Paso. And when we show up, this place that had processed over 2,500 kids in the previous two months was empty. So we met some border agents and we heard stories about children as young as two coming across the border by themselves. And we had to go to churches to meet with people who were who were actually in the country without adult support and began to hear the stories of these kids. And while we were there, we talked to an a-, a reporter from the AP. And what they told us is, oh, the place that you were supposed to go is full. There's 700 people there. They intentionally redirected you because they did not want you to be able to see firsthand what what is going on in these places. And then I find myself on a stage in front of 
all of this media and all of these people. And the question that I'm asked is, as a representative of white clergy members, what do you want this community to hear and know? And I didn't know enough, but I knew whenever I got back to Dallas, I wasn't coming back as the person that had left. And so I came back and I became friends with Bill Holston, who was the executive director of the Human Rights Initiative of North Texas. And what I found out was that in Dallas, we had rocket dockets where these children were being brought to our city and they were being sent to court and being ordered to report back seven days later. And that these kids were given no opportunity to get actual legal support. There was no due process. And we decided we wanted to try to create an umbrella of protection over the city of Dallas. And so we started working towards that and found out that it went all the way up to the attorney general. And that was when I realized that justice is systemic and injustice is systemic. And that was my first step into going, you know what, I can't look away. Jesus has told me these are my neighbors, and I have to keep walking down this path. But it it wasn't real until I was close. Proximity matters. How close we live to people who are experiencing injustice is going to impact what we're willing to do. So I think that in the incarnation and what we see in the life of Christ is that who we call our neighbor matters. How close we're willing to be to our neighbors matters. If you ever come to City Square, what you'll notice about our work is we call everybody we serve neighbors. Because we never want there to be a us and a them. This is our community. We are in this together. We're in this together. Can I confess something to you guys? I have lived in the same house for almost 13 years, and I only know three of my neighbors. <laughs> I do way better in civic life <laughs> people than I do in my own neighborhood. So just want to be clear, when Jesus uses that term neighbor, when I talk about it, it's not just something we call people. There's something really important in how we know people and how we know them and how we know their stories. So I want us to jump back to Paul's word. What did Paul think about when he thought about justice? I think Paul thought about relationships when he thought about justice. That passage that I read to you from 2 Corinthians 5, when he's talking about Jesus coming and becoming sin, even though he had no sin so that we could be the justice of God in this world, it's in the context of Paul's teaching on the ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It's taking groups that have some, some enmity between them and bringing them close again. It's there's been a wrong and we're correcting that wrong. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is. And so I love so much more this idea of not that we're to be the righteousness, the moral judges, but we're to be justice. The people who are bridging those gaps that are making the world a more just place that are taking that same approach that Jesus took, that you guys were talking about from the life of Christ, of who are those people on the margins and bringing them close. So in my work with Faith in Texas, one of the things that was really powerful for me as a minister is 
I came out of the Assemblies of God faith tradition. And in our tradition, there was a split between black and white. So we have Kojic, Church of God in Christ, and that's the black Assemblies of God. And then we have the Assemblies of God, which is the white Assemblies of God. And so even though I grew up in a very diverse church, my experience of other ministers was predominantly white. Whenever I started to work in faith in Texas, this organization was intentionally multi-faith, multi-race. And so it was the first time in my life I really had deep, meaningful relationships with Black pastors. And what happened in me during that time I describe as my second conversion. So I started to have relationships with these Black pastors, and they, over time, began to trust me with their stories. And I'll never forget the day I was having dinner with one of my friends and his wife, and he told me the story about getting pulled over on the side of the road with his two teenage sons in the car for a brake light that was out, and how the cop pulled him out of the car and threw him on the, the hood of the car, and and the terror that he felt and that his sons felt. And it was in that moment, in moments like that, that I learned a really important lesson, that not everybody experienced the same growing up in America that I did. My brother has been, the cops have been called on him for for him being a Mexican parking in a parking lot. My brother's got the brown jeans, I didn't. My brother, my little brother gave my dad this shirt for Father's Day and it has the three of us and him on it. And if I showed you the picture, you'd be like, one of these things is not like the other. (laughs) So my brothers are all very brown and my dad is very brown and I got the Scottish family jeans. Like I just do not, like one of these things is not like the other. And I texted my little brother and I was like, Stephen, what is this? He's like, I guess it's just how I see you. <laughs> like, okay, good to know who's white in the family. But even with all of that family history, I didn't watch the news and hear the stories and think there was that white thing in me, that white privilege. It was like, oh, there must be more to the story. But because I developed real relationships real relationships with people who lived these experiences, my whole view of the world shifted. And so I think that's why Paul says, whenever we are reconciling, we can become the justice of God. But we cannot do the work of reconciliation without relationships. So that's what I think Paul's word is. Let's turn back to where we started when Charles read James 2 for us this morning. I want to read to you verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but has nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. We'll stop there. Verse 19, just because I said it, it says, 
you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. <laughs> like that's such an interesting verse to include in there. But what I look at, you know, Charles mentioned I'm a spiritual director. So I hang out with a lot of Jesuits because I'm a spiritual tradition, uh, director in the Ignatian tradition. In Ignatian tradition, there's a framework for discernment that follows three steps. And the first step is awareness. So the idea is you, you grow aware of your feelings and your desires and you connect with those. And then you seek understanding. So understanding is step two. You want to begin to understand what's moving you. What's motivating you? Is it the good spirit? Is it the bad spirit? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? And then the third step is you take action. You take action based on on your awareness and your understanding. And I think if I could combine Jesus, Paul, and James, they would have loved this framework because I see this beautiful parallel in it that you may think of it when it comes to justice and discerning how we move and act with justice is step one is our neighbors. We grow in awareness. Who are my neighbors? What are my feelings about those neighbors? What are my desires for those neighbors? And then understanding, what are the relationships? What are the relationships that I have? What are the ones I need? How can I be reconciling? And what is moving me and how I relate to people? One of the most interesting exercises I've done in my racial equity work, specifically with white people, is I'll ask them to begin to draw these concentric circles in their lives. And I ask them to begin to know where is someone who is not white? So have you had someone who's not white at your dinner table? When did that happen? Do you have someone who is mentoring you in any space of your life who is not white? Do your kids have friends that come over and spend the night who are not white? And we begin to do this. And often what people realize, and it's a very sad, painful experience, is realizing without necessarily intending to, we tend to live very segregated lives. And so how do we begin to move out of that segregation that really comes from historic actions that were intentional and systematic, like redlining, into a place where our lives are actually integrated and diverse and represent the kingdom of heaven. And so understanding our relationships, being thoughtful and intentional about those relationships. And then we get to what I think James's word would have been action. Take action, enact your prayers. I have a very low tolerance whenever it comes to justice issues for people who tell me they're praying about it. I have been in so many meetings with so many pastors over so many years where the solution when really, truly heinous things have happened in the world is we're going to get together and pray about it. And what I have learned in Ignatian and spirituality and appreciate so much is that prayer is never the end point. There is always action because what we're taught in Ignatian spirituality is that we are co-laboring with Christ. We are co-creating this. I was talking with my spiritual director one day and I was like, you know, I think I just want to leave this one to Jesus. I just want to put this one in God's hands. And she looks at me and she said, Rachel, and she's in her sixties. And she said, Rachel, in all of my years, there have only been two times in my life where I believe Jesus asked me to completely leave something in his hands. The rest of the time, there was something for me to do with Christ. And so when it comes to justice, guys, I believe in prayer so much. If you gave me the choice of coming and speaking to you a hundred times or leading you through 
the kind of prayer that I know with Ignatian spirituality for five minutes, I would do the five minutes. But because I, it's because at the end of that, we bring our prayer forward. And the question is, Jesus, what do you want me to do with this now? We learn how to enact our prayers. We're celebrating Juneteenth today. And Frederick Douglass, I love the way he talked about prayer because he talked about praying with our legs. So there's this quote from him. He says, I prayed for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. Frederick Douglass was a slave. And as he tells the story, every day he would go to this very specific place on the property where he was enslaved and he would pray and he would ask for deliverance. And he said, one day as he was praying, this voice came, this mysterious voice spoke to him and with great emphasis said, Frederick, pray with your legs. And it shocked him. And as he sat with what the voice had said to him, he concluded that that was what he would do. And so he, he escaped on his own legs. He enacted his prayers and then became an orator who captured the imagination of a country around what would freedom look like. You were to ask me what my one word for justice is, what comes to mind when I think about justice, I would tell you overwhelmed, overwhelmed. Then what I would tell you is I get to wake up most days and go to work at a place called City Square. And I think about the neighbor that I got to work with who was trafficked as a child and is working with our workforce empowerment, our women's workforce empowerment program. And this, this trafficking by a family member was something that happened for many generations in her home. And she's breaking that cycle. And we're getting to help her break that cycle. I think about the neighbor that I sat with who told me the story about living on the streets and in shelters for five years, waiting for a house to open up. And now he lives in our cottages. And the the joy that he has of knowing that because this is permanent supportive housing, he can live here for the rest of his life. He never has to worry about being homeless again. I think about the 9,000 children that we fed last year with our child nutrition program and the 862 families that we had fed whenever I left on Thursday and went home to my kids. And whenever I start thinking about the work that we get to do at City Square, what I feel, that feeling of being overwhelmed starts to feel a whole lot like hope because what I believe is that whenever we enact our prayers, justice comes. We become the justice of God. And it may feel overwhelming, but there are places that have made it really practical for us to take those first steps. So today, you know, after the interview, at some point, you guys will get to stand up and you're going to walk out of here. And today I want that step to mean something for you. Maybe it's that first step of there's an invitation, something and stirring and you saying, I need to grow in my awareness. Who is my neighbor? Maybe it's, I want to seek more understanding. I want to be in more relationship. I want to understand the relational dynamics in my life. Maybe it's, you know, 
there's this prayer that I have been praying for a long time, and I feel like God is asking me to take action on it. And so maybe it's, Kali, I have been in this work, and like Rachel, I feel overwhelmed when I think about justice. But this step of me standing up today is going to be a commitment to continuing it because there's hope. So when you stand up today, let it mean something. On this Juneteenth, when you stand up today, let it mean something. Let it be a next step in your journey of justice. So can I pray for you guys? Lord, thank you that you are a God of justice and not a God of wrath. The thing that I know is that we are always in your loving presence. And Jesus, you said that we would be known by how we love one another. And God, I thank you that walking into storyline today, that was my experience, was a deep love in this community. And so, God, I pray that this love that you have grown in them, that you will continue to grow. And that there will be ripples in their lives and in their communities, because I know that their heart, like yours, is turned towards justice. And so I pray for you to empower that in them. May they be a light on a hill that gives hope to all those who are around them. I pray your blessings on them and their family and this faith community. And I pray that they would feel your good favor and they would hear you speaking over them today. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you for the opportunity to be with this precious community today. And I pray these things in the strong and sure name of our Savior Jesus. And all God's people say, amen.